Good afternoon. I'm told it's tough to have the warm-up slot before Peyton Manning, but we'll give it a try. So welcome to our presentation. Daryl Bush and I work for Keeker Logistics Group. Keeker Logistics is one of the North America's premier end-to-end -end supply chain solutions providers. We have extensive experience in all types of markets, <clears throat> e-commerce, retail, wholesale distribution, and many different industries. We have the ability to work with multiple equipment and technology providers and create a best-of-breed solution with a combination of new, existing, and uh, enhanced process. We do provide a, a supply chain software solution, warehouse control system, warehouse execution system through our uh, company-owned uh, dedicated software provider. We also do supply chain consulting services that include extensive network analysis, process development, facility design, and engineering. Daryl and I have uh, decades of industry experience. Daryl's original background is actually on the customer side and made the move over to the supplier side. It gives us the ability to see the, the solution from many different angles across our entire team. So starting, what are your challenges? We see a whole flavor, of course. Um, the, the retail and e-commerce business environment has changed dramatically in the, in the last 10 years. Um, there's, that's created a lot of internal business pressures. Certainly the, the very tight labor market out there is leading to much greater uh, urgency and investment in automation. Um, You've got an ever-expanding uh, population of competitors getting into your market. Um, the internet's enabled ease of, of starting a business. You know, that business could be you know, one person working out of their home, but they can put a presence out there that looks much different. Um, Value-added services, something to separate your business, making room for that. And then the e-commerce landscape will continue to change. We're not done. You know, Industry 4.0 and the Internet of Things is going to continue to evolve the entire marketplace. So where are you today? What can you handle and support? Can you turn into an enabler for your general business by adopting new processes and technologies? So our focus today, we want to share our experience, how to handle these challenges, and show you some of the things that we've developed as our core expertise. We'll map out, a, a give you a, a roadmap, if you will, of how we walk through that process. It's not the same every time. One size doesn't fit all. We tailor it specifically to the client's needs. And then, you know, for the most part, we're following that same roadmap to, to a successful conclusion. On the automation side, we're always careful to make sure that we're not doing automation for automation's sake. 
but it, it can be justifiable and it's providing uh, the benefits that the original goal stated and it's not simply deploying technology for the love of technology and we do see that uh, frequently when we start the analysis process. But by the end we ho hope that you understand our our process and our roadmap a little bit better, which will help you uh, face the challenges that you have in your businesses. So with that, I'll let Daryl take over. Thank you, Dick. Can everybody hear me all right? All right. So my name's Daryl Bush. Um, been in supply chain for about 20 years. I've been on the engineering side. I've ran operations been in project management of a lot of different startups. So what we wanted to do today was just kind of provide a high level roadmap from our experience on what makes a design process work. So we've got a lot of experience on the Kiker Logistics team, um, a lot of industry, industry professionals like Dick, people with 30, 40, 50 years of experience, myself, a lot of people on the IT side, um, pulled all those resources together and kind of took our kind of approach on how a project works and what steps are critical to that. So not all these may apply to your business. Every project's different, every business is different, but hopefully there's bits and pieces of this roadmap that uh, you can take away with you today. So this is kind of what every project looks like in the beginning, right? It's where are we going? Some people have a view of the forest, some people have a view of the trees, some people have a view of the weeds. So having this kind of process to navigate through is really critical. And we'll talk about each one of these steps in detail, but number one is, what are you trying to accomplish? What's your mission? Having that stated clearly at the beginning is critical because that's gonna guide you through the entire path. Next is knowing your business. What are the requirements of your business? What are the customer requirements? What are the requirements of your key stakeholders? All those pieces need to be built into the design because at the end of that, if marketing really needs something um, to enable the business and, and you're not providing a solution for that, it's much harder to sell that solution. Three is understanding your data. It's a big piece that comes into play these days. There's a lot of analyses out there. There's a lot of ways to look at data, but what is the story it's telling you? Why is it important? Those are the critical pieces that you need to take away from the data analysis side of things. And then you get in, so those three steps are what I call creating your baseline. So after you complete those, you're kind of understanding where you're at. Um, now you've got to look forward, where should you be? And the heart of that process is the process, right? It's what should we be doing efficiently to support the business? So that is at the heart of it. So we'll look at really how should we be developing those processes? There's a couple methodologies, ideologies that, that we like to use. And then we look at how does technology, systems, and automation enable that process? A lot of times that gets switched. A lot of times the systems are driving the process or I'm out at Modex and I find a great automation that's the newest thing, but does that, is that the best application for my process? So defining that process should always come first 
then you find the pieces that enable that, ideally. It's not always the case. But. Um, then how, how best can you implement these projects successfully? Um, the greatest design in the world can fail in implementation. It's kind of a whole nother process you need to think about. And then the end is something that's also overlooked sometimes is how do you sustain that? How do you build on that over time? So we'll walk through all of these um, in the next 45 minutes. So mission, where do we start? There's a lot of different issues out there. The labor markets talked about most of the labor costs are going up, but just finding bodies, um, you know, finding people that want to come in to load a truck. You know, how do you fill those jobs in the future? They're hard to fill today, but what's that market look, gonna look like in five years from now, 10 years from now, as we look out down the road? So um, another thing's aging infrastructure. I need to replace this system. It's at end of life. It is a risk to my business, but how do I do that? Keep my business running, right? It's like changing the tires on a car while you're driving down the road 65 miles an hour. It's very difficult sometimes to think about the best way forward in some of those situations. So as we look at this, one of the most important parts is to identify who your stakeholders are, right? There's marketing, there's finance, there's sales, and customers should probably be at the top, although you know marketing probably thinks that they should be at the top, but um, there's no priority to those. But all those requirements come into play. If you focus on one and not the others, then something can be missed. And a lot of times what we see when we come in um, to these efforts and work with companies is we do an interview process with a lot of these key leaders. And a lot of times you're hearing different stories from, from different key stakeholders. So it's important to pull all that information together and build that into your mission so all those stakeholders know that their priorities and their initiatives are being addressed by this process. So different things that you know, come about, you know, are we looking to upgrade? It may be a new facility, which is a whole nother process to think about or should we be considering third-party solutions? So those are kind of the end results through this process, but um, understanding your initiatives, understanding what, you know, are we needing to carry more SKUs? With, you know, SKU proliferation marketing is trying to, you know, sell more and more SKUs. Well, that means more pick faces. Does that mean we need more physical space or, or some of these other scenarios? So now we get into what are some of the details around understanding this mission. Um, a lot of people might not know what their five to 10 year plan looks like, but it's things you can put together based on history or, or other pieces. Hopefully you have that plan, but there's different ways you should look at it. What is my volume growth? Am I growing by store growth or am I growing by the products that I'm offering? So understanding those two pieces together are critical to understanding what the, the process design should be. And then understanding pieces of the customer service expectations. 
order to ship cycle time, whether we're offering next day shipping, same day shipping, when are my cutoff times, all those pieces. Where am I at today? What am I trying to offer in the future? Um, and then one that I've seen um, benefit from a customer side or from your side of, of the podium, I guess, is customer feedback, that customer feedback loop. How are we doing? What do you expect? Where are we failing? That's hard feedback to get sometimes, but when you build that into your processes and when you address those things, that's when you're really driving the business forward and being able to satisfy those customer requirements and, and uh, keep your stakeholders busy. And then at the end of that, how do you stack up in your market? Um, where are you at um, amongst your other competitors? Um, looking at consortiums, things like that, working with other players um, in your market and or out of your market, comparing different things uh, is a way to also improve. This is just an example of what a five to 10 year plan might look like, um, looking at the compound annual growth. Um, but what's important is to understand the details within these. It's easy to look at the high level, okay, I'm growing this much year over year, but how are your segments growing? There could be a segment that's growing at a much faster rate that has different requirements. So it's important to go at least a couple um, levels deeper into this data to really understand what's driving that growth, because that may have an impact on, on how you're designing your processes. So at the end of this, you should know where your gaps are. You should know maybe how um, you need to address those gaps. What are your priorities? What's driving your business? What are those key stakeholders' um, priorities? And then that becomes your mission to guide you through the rest of this process. So the next piece is understanding your data. So, you know, some people have seen graphs like this. Um, I worked at a company once where I started where I got an email every day of about 20 graphs. Finally, I went to someone, I was like, why are these important? You know, what, what are we trying to see from these graphs? Um, and they couldn't really tell me. Somebody had asked them to make these graphs and they were just produced, you know. So it's important to know what your data is telling you. What are you trying to tell? What are you trying to track? What's important to your company? So it's, a lot of people can do data analysis where the key is what is the story that that data is trying to tell you. So we'll just hit all of these functions real quick and look at a different, you know, spin of analyses that we typically look, like, look at in some of these scenarios. All this builds into the design criteria of your project. So as you go through the, these analyses, that's what you use to design going forward. So the first ones we look to receiving, um, there's several of these, but dock to stock really stands out to me because it's very critical. When can you allocate orders? You can't allocate orders when stock is sitting on your um, dock waiting to be received, right? Waiting to be put away into inventory. So how fast are you doing this? Are you doing it same day? Or can you be expediting certain aspects of your receipts into inventory quicker? Um, do you have visibility to this today? Is that data available? What is the story it's telling you? Exception handling can be another one. Um, I deal sometimes with companies that are like, yeah, we do some labeling of product. It's like, 
how much, well, we track the hours, but we don't have great visibility. Um, making sure you've got a lot of that detail coming back helps you make decisions on really what is the labor content and are there better ways to be doing these or addressing these exceptions. So we look at storage utilization. Um, typically look at an inventory snapshot. What does that tell us? We like to look at that over a period of time and then we can start thinking about what is our capacity of our inventory? Where are we at? And more important is where do we run out of space? Um, and as well, it's tracking what this looks like, but what is the utilization of my current storage? Can I improve that efficiency? Did I used to receive pallets and now I'm receiving half pallets? Or did I used to receive half pallets and now I'm receiving cartons? That's what we're seeing with skew proliferation and a lot of these buying patterns is we're getting more receipts more often and smaller um, units. Skip too far there. Well, okay. So fulfillment, there's a lot of different things to look at. Uh, we'll look at kind of a skew velocity and order profile distribution. But other things that are important, um, the pick short rate I think is really telling. Every time you see a pick short, it requires more work. Either the customer's getting shorted or that order has to be set aside to wait for something else, or the picker is going somewhere else to find inventory to refill that slot. So if that's not being tracked, sometimes that's a very telling stat in the data. So when we start talking about um, skew velocity, typically it follows the 80-20 rule, right? But that's not always the case. This is a scenario where it tells a little bit of a different story. So when we start looking at the top skews, the top 20 SKUs are driving 15% of the volume. So maybe there's something that we can do to handle those SKUs or handle that volume a little bit more efficiently since they're such high velocity. Um, this is more of a 22, um, 89, I guess, ratio. But the other thing to look at is what does your tail look like? How oftentimes you're spending more labor on the units that you pick the least. So sometimes an automated solution makes the most sense to handle those SKUs you never touch because there's, if you're having to require a pick face for all those, there's a lot of extra walking, a lot of non-productive work around that small percentage of volume. So it's important to understand what this looks like and also slices within that um, to understand maybe how you handle different um, segments of that skew velocity. So this is another profile we'll look at, and it's really kind of breaking it down. What's your order profile? Um, we'll typically look at, and this is e-commerce, so it might not apply to you, um, but e-commerce, what comes into play a lot is your single line items, right? Single line items, if you're not in the right process, could be driving a lot of labor. So typically, if you can batch pick those or do something differently, you can drive some efficiency there. So in this analysis, we broke out single line item orders, multi-line item orders, and then the green is the total there. But um, if you kind of look at some of the details, for shoes, you've got 57% of your orders that are single line items. It's 33% of the lines. That's a big 
That's a big nut to go after right there. Are there ways to automate that with on-demand packaging, uh, polybagging, different things, um, different product characteristics, apply to different technologies, but are there ways to really drive efficiency there? Then you get into multi-line items, you've got 60% of your lines in there. That's where probably the majority of your labor comes in. How do we do that efficiently? Can we do some efficient picking processes and consolidate that effectively? But what you try to find out when you look at this, and what I think this tells a story of is, it's typically not a silver bullet or a one-size-fits-all solution. To understand all these pieces helps you, we like the analogy of a toll road, right? You got your easy pass road, you got your easy pass lane, your single line item orders are just expedited quickly, but then you've got your exact change, then you've got your full service. So all those lanes have different speeds. So understanding what those segments of your order profile are and how to potentially gain efficiency out of those is critical. And you know, go, you have to go through the steps and understand the data to understand if there's any of those opportunities out there. So at the end of this process, what you should really have a map to is what's my current capacity, um, what is my growth capacity, where do I end up in five to 10 years, where, where are my shortcomings, um, what do all my stats look like for my velocities, um, order profiles, and what are the gaps to the market and what are the gaps to the industry? Where do I stand? Where are the opportunities um, to really drive? So like I said, those first three steps really gets you to the baseline. At the end of that, you should really have a good understanding of where you're at, where you're going, and, and what we can now do is take that and look at how do we build the process of the future. Um, so that's really the foundation, right? It's what you build your house on. What is the most efficient process you can use? Um, so then we look at technology, automation, and systems, like we said, to enable that. So there's several different things in looking at how to design your process. We'll look at the ones in red, but I want to talk about proficiency versus efficiency because that's kind of interesting to me sometimes. A lot of times people think, I'm really good at this. I have labor standards at this. I pay incentives at this process. Um, I do it really well. But the analogy I like to say sometimes is, you know, you're bailing water, right? You've got really good at bailing water, but what's your root cause? If you fix the hole in your boat, now you've got an efficient process. And that's not always the case. But building labor standards, sometimes you've got to make sure that that's the most efficient process before you get into some of those steps down the road. So we'll look at a couple things on how to do that. One that I like to use a lot, this is, I started my career as an industrial engineer on the floor with a stopwatch. They've got a lot of new tools these days, so no, not a lot of people use stopwatches anymore, but this was a result of time studies I did, right? This was all the steps of a picker, you know, and it's a mess, right? None of these were in sequence, so imagine time studying that. Imagine the employee that was doing all these steps day in and day out, right? It's very difficult for them, very difficult to train new people. So what you hope to do is identify non-productive tasks that here, work with IT, can we streamline systems? How do we 
make this process as efficient as possible to maximize the core element. So in this process, the core element was to pick books. So when you do that, you're maximizing the amount of time of that resource into doing the core element, what they should be focused on. Then you minimize everything else around them. Hey, I have to leave and get a box. The conditions should be there for that employee to have everything they need to be successful every day. Um, you keep all those things supplied to the employees, you maximize this core element, you'll really see um, an efficient process. Then we get into station-based system paste. Can you create a workstation where the work is brought to them and then taken away, the system is directing their actions? Very easy to train, um, very easy to track productivity. In this scenario, uh, we had batch pick SKUs that came in and got scanned into these locations. You had 16 locations. We had vertical carousels that would present 16 orders. So you're presenting one SKU to 16 orders at a time grabbing a handful of books, putting those two, three, four times per order. Uh, what that does is that really minimizes that associate's travel. There's a trolley line overhead, and I have a video of that so you can kind of see, but um, you can kind of see a picker in action here. So she's putting books to that order. The system's directing. She's directing how full that carton is. So if it's full, she pulls that out indexes it onto the conveyor. Um, once she does that, a new label is sent to print. She grabs a carton off the overhead trolley line, grabs her label, um, continues the process, uh, continues her puts. So station-based station system paste, um, very important to, to keeping that resource as productive as possible. So other things you hear about that's in our title, modular, scalable, flexible, it's buzzwords, right? You hear it a lot. But they do have meaning, and it's very critical to your process. So you know, think about modular. What does that mean, and why is it important? Modular gives you levers. Um, it allows you, if you're not busy, you don't have to run your sorter. You don't have to run all those support functions for the day. You might have three of these pods running, four of these pods running in your downtime or in your off season. Um, it also lets you phase in your capital. I don't need all these pods day one, whereas a sorter, I need to design that for maybe five, 10 years capacity. So you can start off smaller and phase in over time. Um, when we talk about scalable, flexible, you know, phasing it in over time kind of talks to the scalability, but also in, in both of these process channels, you're really driving flexibility. Um, sometimes I may need a station to do all of one type of work. Sometimes I may need a mixture. Um, so having a flexible workstation to drive that work um, mix is very critical. And, you know, different businesses, different segments have different peaks and valleys throughout the year. So as we start talking to how to enable that process after you've gone through the design, you know, a lot of people hate to throw out rates because there's a lot of factors that go into driving that. But this is just kind of a high level 
you know, where some of these types of automation um, lend itself and end up. And there's pretty wide ranges on these. And it could go anywhere from racking with light-directed carts to fully automated systems like auto store, ASRS, um, carousels, those type of systems. So just a quick scenario here. Uh, you know, we worked with a customer that was looking at adding additional pick lines. So each one of these lines was a full pick line and it carried every SKU. So it was like, hey, I need to, I need more capacity. I need to replicate these lines. And we came in and did a design form. And what we found out when we were looking at their order distribution and their SKU velocity was they had probably 50, 60 SKUs that drove about 60% of the order completion, which was kind of an anomaly, right? That's not the case in every business. But what happened was we found a design where mirrored pods or cluster picking work better um, than shuttles in this scenario. When you think about shuttles, there's a high-end capital cost. Um, the, the end cost per unit was lower, but when you look at a seven months ROI versus four and a half years, um, and also the implementation timeline, all those things become factors in which level of automation um, is really the best fit for your processes. Another example, just real quick, is you know traditional pick and pass conveyor system with a pick module. Uh, we looked worked with a cosmetic company. Um, fragile product didn't lend itself well to a lot of high-level automation, but we found hey, you can batch pick with four orders on a light-directed cart, and through that process design, you know the output we achieved was you know. 200 to 225 lines per hour based on what they were doing in the traditional you know, pick and pass process. So the next piece we're going to talk about are the systems. I'll kind of let Dick talk about that and then we'll wrap up after it gets through. So again, continuing what Daryl started with enabling, um, software has become the, the, the magic, you know, I keep telling people, look, today more than ever, it's about the software. When I started early in my career, it was about the same time the personal computer was released. That's the biggest thing that has changed the material handling world. Um, we now have a population of workers that are all carrying a smartphone in their pocket. They expect that smart, live, uh, support of their activity and it, it enhances it. But uh, there's also legacy systems out there and you know the typical issues we're seeing there's flexibility it you know it's probably 10 or 20 or more years old than that the, all the processes have changed in that time frame. Um, to make changes to a legacy system usually is very high cost, coupled with a long lead time. Um, that also creates a problem with long-term support. Now you don't have an upgrade path, or the customization you just paid for to fill this gap is now not supported by that vendor. So the legacy systems are, are difficult to keep plugging gaps in and very expensive. So what's developed over time is another solution. And 
here we go with a bunch of TLA three-letter acronyms, WES, Warehouse Execution System, and WCHIS, Warehouse Control System. So this Venn diagram kind of gives you an idea where some of the overlaps are. If you have your ERP with a warehouse management module or a standalone warehouse management system software package, it's, it's really taking a high level bit of control. But again, the, the, the world has really changed. The implementation of different levels of software, friendly graphic content, and real-time controls have changed what needs to happen on a distribution floor. So in the middle, the, the warehouse execution system is, is adding aspects for inventory control, order management, slotting of this much larger population of stock keeping units in the warehouse, but also managing the pick activity, the workload balance, and then finally that quality control, pack, ship, manifest uh, activity. And on the, the right-hand side, then, is the warehouse control system. And this is really now the conductor of this orchestra. It's tying into all the real-time processes, the automation equipment, even scanning equipment that we're, you know, we're, we've automated that data collection function in the, uh, in the interest of speed and accuracy. But, you know, think about what's real-time enough to, you know, your labor in the warehouse, a two-second delay is a long time, and that's time that never gets recovered. So we're looking for instantaneous response time. Now, the WMS packages that rolled out 20 years ago all had handheld computers. And the most common message on that screen was waiting for host. And it, it was a huge impact on productivity. So now we have other solutions. So this graph shows you a little bit um, with the ERP and either a WM module or, or a WMS package near the top, and then another layer, which is our warehouse execution system and our warehouse control system, and adds those elements that didn't exist. And towards the bottom of this, then it's tying into all of the automation interfaces on a real-time level. One of the things that doesn't show in this graph that's become more important even the last two or three years is a lot of large graphic dashboards that can be put out on the warehouse distribution floor to keep the staff informed of what they've accomplished for the day, what their goals are, where the um, labor loading needs to be, and give people real-time information that is constantly updated based on their progress for the day. So why would you need you know, a WES, WCS solution? Again, it can fill the gaps. You know, I, I, I like to tell people, when they implement a WMS, they do this gap analysis, and it's usually done after the contract signed. Well, you go down the road five or 10 or 20 years, technology now has made new gaps that are even larger. And rather than try to fill those gaps with what you already have, you've probably just adopted processes that met the, the ability, the capability of that legacy system. So a WES, a WCS gives you the ability now to open up, plug all those gaps, change the processes, avoid the costly 
and time-consuming customization of an older system. And the, the WES-WCS piece would be designed around a much narrower set of features and functions. And then, again, it, it just provides this bridge to plug all those gaps and give you a very agile, cost-effective solution. When you need to change it in the future or enhance it, it's also easy to change. So which one's best? There's a lot of flavors of software out there today. You just need to find a partner that has the industry experience across a, a wide breadth of, of applications and has the staff on, on hand to do that. They should come in with a pretty defined process, much like the roadmap Daryl's been talking about here. It also applies to the software side. So how does it wrap up all of your business requirements, the noted gaps, create a functional design, conference room pilot, how's it gonna work? And then also that staff has gotta be able to explain and demonstrate how things are gonna work. They should be able to show you screens, customize screens, etc. cetera. Um, and the key to most of the WCS, WES implementations, they're a framework and they're designed to be configured and customized by staff as they're implemented because there is no magic bullet and every business is different. So it's got to take the existing process and equipment into account as well as the new. But make it modular, scalable, implementable in a you know, shortened time frame and flexible enough, you'll discover along the process additional gaps or as long as we're doing this, we should do this. And that should be able to accommodate those changes along the, along the path of implementation. Best practices, again, assign and deploy a cross-functional team that represent all aspects of the business. You know, get the executive sponsorship commitments. Appoint a project champion or more than one project champion and then know that those people are supported. Define all your metrics. Get the implementation done. And continuous training. We're seeing a lot of computer-based training, online, context-sensitive help, be able to bring new people into the picture. With our labor challenge, we know one thing's for sure is that turnover adding new people is going to happen. There will be a constant training burden. The last point here is about secure systems. Alexa is not going to run your distribution center. Something much like Alexa probably eventually in time, but Internet of Things and Industry 4.0, more and more and more process equipment will be connected. We work with AutoStore. AutoStore has in excess of 10,000 robots in the field, and they 100% monitor 65% of them. They know that someone's system has a problem before they even know it. But the benefit that we get is that data now becomes history. We know that we got 99.8% uptime. We've got mean time to failure that measured in thousands of hours, and a mean time to repair that's measured in increments of less than 10 minutes. But we also track what caused those problems. It's all about software. Final thoughts. Um, it's an engineered process. 
you don't buy a box and just turn it on one day. You know, there's certainly lots of stories about difficult implementations, but if you go into it with the right resources and the right time frame, it's very doable. Um, it's all about risk and risk mitigation. Daryl made the point of these WES, WCS vendors are probably not sponsoring Super Bowl commercials. They're a team of typically 30 to 50 people who are completely dedicated to specifically this type of implementation and this product, and they're very responsive. Um, if you recall walking through airports a few years ago, there was a vendor that said, you know, fight against big ERP. Well, they did that because they'd make them, made themselves big enough to fight against it. In this world for warehouse execution and control, it's usually small vendors with um, you know, a good population of customers that they've helped through the process but support every day on an active basis. And back to Daryl. So we'll tie some of this up um, just on the design side. As you go through that, now you should be, um, should have an understanding of what your, what your core processes are, your core elements are, how do you drive that through software and technology and automation. Um, you know, like we said a lot, processes are not one size fit all. Um, you really need to understand all these things because that complexity could come back and, and limit the success of your project in the long run. Um, so as we talk about implementation for a, a little bit, this is where a lot of designs come to die. Um, a, a lot of different reasons why, um, but even a good design can have a bad implementation. So, you know, some of the things to think about is how can you start small, get big wins, and build on that? How can you phase that capital over time? Um, the worst, or I won't say the worst, these things are done, but I call it the Frankenstein switch where you're running one process one day and tomorrow you're going to do something different. So we turn off the lights here and we flip the switch over here and everything's dependent on moving forward. It's been done, but it's scary, and there's a lot of risk involved in that. Um, project scheduling, really having the professionals drive that in a PMO organization. Permitting can be a big hang-up of these, especially these days. Getting with your local jurisdiction and working with your local um, permitting authorities early and often is critical to the project success. And overall, well, another one is, is having dedicated resources to driving this. Having somebody work on these projects part-time while they have other duties is some kind, sometimes a, a pretty tough uh, role to fill. Um, so communication is probably the most critical. Top-down, um, you, you've got to have great sponsorship. You've got to have great, um, you know, change agents, all the necessary resources to do this. A CEO asked me once, what kind of insurance do I have on this $12 million project? There's things like simulation, other things that, that we can get into as the larger projects um, that can help mitigate that risk and see what some of the constraints and bottlenecks might be before you actually deal with them out on the floor. Then you get into how to sustain this and getting into a culture of change, looking at lean methodology, Six Sigma, labor standards and incentives, customer service, um, all these things really drive that process. 
Um, all, once you get this implemented, um, that's not the end game, you're not done. There's a optimization period. There's how do we work with this system as efficiently as possible. That continues to move forward and it should be a continuous culture of change. And everybody should be involved in that culture. Um, so we're running short of time here. So, you know, just to kind of summarize, we talked about all these steps on the roadmap. Um, hopefully you got some some bits of information along the way, and hopefully that, sorry about that, kind of painted a picture for you of what, how, you know, from our experience, what this design process looks like. Um, so at the end, you know, the things we hope you learned is, is really are there, you know, do I understand some things to the detail level I might need to, or um, are there some opportunities for optimization? Um, am I addressing the right solutions? Should I be getting feedback from other key stakeholders? And at the end of the day, you want to be an enabler to your business. You want for marketing to come to you and say, I need to run this promotion and say, yes, we have that capacity. Yes, we have the flexibility to do that. That makes you successful in your job and overall your business successful down the road. So that, with that, we're out of time. Appreciate everybody for their time. If you have any questions, please let us know. Um, we're at booth 7215 and would love to talk with you further or uh, answer your questions. Sure. Oh, thank you. You're welcome.